Water's Edge podcast acknowledges the traditional owners of country throughout the Murray-Darling Basin and Australia and recognises the continuing connection to lands, waters and community. Coming up, how the ACT's water use is small but significant compared to other basin states. Where most of the water is used for city or municipal services. So over 70% of ACT's water allocation is for urban water supply. And some of the benefits that come with being a small but mighty basin jurisdiction. You know, one example of how it actually is in the ACT, just the other week, somebody's meter was due to be read. And they rang up and said, look, there's a brown snake in the shed. Do you reckon you could wait till next week? I'm your host, Annabelle Hudson, and welcome to this final episode of Season 2 of Water's Edge, where we chat to Dr Sue Wild-River from the ACT's EPA. Welcome to Water's Edge. According to the IGWC's annual community sentiment survey, only 15% of people know that the ACT is actually a part of the Murray-Darling Basin. And while the ACT makes up a small portion of the basin compared to other states, it still brings significant economic and environmental benefits to the basin. In this final episode of Season 2 of Water's Edge, we chat to Dr Sue Wild-River. Sue is the ACT's delegate on the Regulatory Leaders Forum and from the ACT EPA. Welcome to Water's Edge, Sue. Thank you, Annabelle. So how did you get into water management? It's, a, it's quite a complex field, water. So what, what drew you to this space? Sure. So <clears throat> you're asking about my background. So yes. my surname, Wild River, is actually part of my background. So oh, I, really? Yeah, yeah, it is. Okay. So I changed my name to Wild River when I was 16. And I did that um, to associate myself with my belief in sustainability and also my love of water in particular. Oh, wow, 16. So, that's a young age to know that. That's is, what you want to pursue? <laughs> that's right. So I actually have been a whitewater kayaker and I'm still very keen body surfer, um, also an estuary in kayaker. In Canberra? And a snorkeler. No, I go down <laughs> to the coast to do my body surfing. Um And I have over 30 years of work driving sustainability and environmental outcomes in a whole lot of different spheres. So I have a background in academia, in facilities management, non-government organisations, consulting, policy roles, as well as regulation. And the work that I've done has been all over Australia, but in particular in Queensland, New South Wales and the ACT. So with regard to my role in water management within the ACT, My background includes research, which I conducted as a consultant. I also um, chaired a river care group, Friends of Mongalo River, which was outside of the Murray-Darling Basin, only just to the east. Um, And that focused on protecting river biodiversity um, and coordinating regional land care group as well. In terms of water regulation in particular, um, the ACT is a very small jurisdiction and everybody who works in the ACT government does a large range of different roles. It's very difficult for any of us to work in great depth in any one area because there's so much that we need to cover. Um, And so my role in water regulation in the ACT is part of Access Canberra. So in 2015, the ACT put most of its regulators together into Access Canberra and included the EPA there as the ACT's primary environmental regulator. 
And so the EPA was put in there and our legislation is written so that the Environment Protection Authority encompasses water regulation and so that meant that water regulation came into Access Canberra as well. And so whereas larger water regulators would have their own communications teams and legal experts and compliance specialists and things, we share those with the rest of Access Canberra. So you do become, you know, they say a, a sort of like a jack of all trades, but a master of none. <laughs> Sounds like you're the master of water, water regulation, though. <laughs> Research by the Inspector General of Water Compliance has shown that while most people know that New South Wales, Victoria and South Australia are in the basin, 30% of people know Queensland's in the basin, but... Only 15% of people realise that the ACT is in the basin. And I actually didn't know that the ACT was in the basin until I started in this role. So I'm one of those people who who's not didn't realise. So why do you think that there is such a small percentage of people who realise ACT is part of the basin? The ACT was actually very similar to other states in a lot of other things. So for instance, what I really picked up was that the ACT is very similar to other states in recognising the importance of compliance and enforcement in water resource laws. So just under 50% of people in the ACT and in the rest of the Murray-Darling Basin think that enforcement is very important for themselves and around 75% think that it's important for basin communities overall. So I think what you've seen is that ACT is more similar than different. The Canberra bubble is what people think of. And they think of politicians when they think of the ACT. But there's obviously so much more than that. What sort of water users do you have here? That is such a great question, Annabelle. (laughs) What sort of water users do we have in the ACT? Well, the ACT regulated community differs significantly from the others. Canberra is the largest city in the Murray-Darling Basin. And we are the only jurisdiction where most of the water is used for city or municipal services. So over 70% of ACT's water allocation is for urban water supply. Wow. Yeah. So um, unlike agricultural water, most of that urban water supply actually ends up getting treated and put back into the river. And so our... um, total water take is much less compared with our net water take. And the other notable users after that urban water supply are things like um, parks and gardens, golf clubs, and about 8% is for agriculture, which is much, much less than any of the other jurisdictions. Yeah, a lot smaller. That's interesting. I didn't realise that um, it was for urban like the water from the basin supplies the urban water supply as well. How does that work in terms of metering? Like does urban water supply have to be metered the same as agricultural water, for example? Yes, it does. Um, so the urban water supply is has, has to meet the same Australian standard for metering as any water supply. But we have a huge advantage over other jurisdictions in terms of our large water user as well, which is Icon Water, which supplies ACT's urban water. So um, usually when an agricultural water user has a very large allocation, they will actually be taking that water from a lot of different dams and rivers and other supplies. In the ACT, there's just a few really big dams Mm -hmm. and 
Um, so those have enormous pipes and the metering is, it meets a very high standard for um, its compliance. So, um, so what we have is one water user that uses 70% of our water and or that takes 70% of our water. Actually, that is used by all Canberrans. But the take is by this one very high compliant um, water user mm -hmm. for the municipal water supply. And so it, you know, exceeds the average in terms of the quality of the compliance. Yep very easily and so then we have the remainder there's a few other large-ish water users so those other ones I mentioned agriculture parks and gardens um, and the golf courses <laughs> between them they make up about 20 percent you know so um, and again those are pretty um, well regulated high compliant ones you know so they have um, meters that are you know tested and, and yep. they're they're um, good and they've got the bigger pipes and mm. things so so again within I mean they we identify those as our high risk mm -hmm. take because they are the largest you know the second largest yep. group but um, again there's a very small number of those and they're in a sense easy to regulate um, and then we have like all the other jurisdictions a very long tail of extremely small water users that um, they're the ones that are a little bit harder to get them into the same type of compliance regime as the IGWC wants to see across the whole basin, just mm. because they're only using, you know, like say 5,000 yeah. litres a year or something. And so it's it's really a very small mm. amount of water take. Yep. Well, do you know what percentage of water the ACT uses when compared to the rest of the basin? The ACT uses 0.1%. Of what the total water take from the Murray Darling Basin? Point one percent. Yeah, we are tiny. So, what? So we use about one thousandth of all of the Murray Darling Basin here. It's a very small even amount. With, even with the most densely populated city in all of the basin. Yeah, that's right. Wow. Yeah. That's partly because we do do the net calculation. You know, so so you turn on your tap, mm -hmm. you get water, uh, you flush your toilet water goes away um, so the net take that we have is um, is um, you know less so we don't lose as much when you use water for agriculture it doesn't tend to go back yeah. into the river yes gotcha. but in fact the number that I've just quoted you in fact the 1000th is actually the total not the net because I just got oh. that off the actual water amount so it's so it very, would be very, even less than that if you think about the net yeah it's really small yeah, okay. so we're absolutely tiny yep. so um so some other key statistics that show how different we are is that we are the only jurisdiction where every point of water take has a meter okay so we have 100 percent of our water take is metered um <laughs> what that adds up to is we have 325 water access entitlements, which comprise 184 groundwater entitlements, 29 surviving entitlements, which means they precede the current legislation and they include ground and surface water, and 112 for surface water. Um, other jurisdictions have maybe 500 times that wow. many water access entitlements. Our water regulation team who does pollution prevention and the Lakes Act work and the water regulation, there are just three of those people. And they tend to know, on a first name basis, all of our license holders know 
that team of three mm-hmm. people. Um, so it's it's really a completely different story. <laughs> yeah. But, I mean, despite the fact that, that it is such a small percentage of water take in the basin, I think it's still important to undertake enforcement and compliance activities. So what are some of the things the ACT has been focusing on in this space? So we absolutely agree with the whole spirit of the IGWC's work that enforcement matters very much. So our single very large water access entitlement, which is held by Icon Water for urban water supply, has a very high degree of um, compliance. They, you know, their reporting's really detailed. They have everything QA, you know, so everything's... um, really top shelf with our one big water user. Um, So our level of confidence is extremely high for that water take. So outside of that, we assess water use by license holders to ensure that extraction doesn't reach a level that negatively impacts on our aquatic ecosystems. So last year, water use by license holders was below the volume of water held in those entitlements and there were no detections of non-compliance with licence conditions. Now, that was partly because it was a very wet year, Mm. and so people didn't have to take as much water to have as much of what they need from water. Especially when you're thinking about those golf courses and things like that. The golf courses. (laughs) And the parks and gardens in the ACT. Mowing was much more of a problem than watering over the last year. Yeah, so... um, so we're the only jurisdiction where all the licensed water is metered and can also therefore be accurately measured. We do conduct an inspection regime which aims to have each of the meters personally inspected at least once every three years or at more frequent intervals as required. So the larger water users amongst them have it more often than the small ones. Yeah. And sometimes our regulated community, like they they do check their meters um in between as well. So mm-hmm. they actually read their meters and they report to us on the amount of water that they've taken. But a really big thing that we've been doing is to bring in our new non-urban water metering policy. So this is something that is very close to the um, heart of the IGWC. It's an initiative that all of the, we're, the, we're really the follower in mm-hmm. this space. Other jurisdictions are ahead of us with this. But this week, the ACT government adopted a new non-urban water metering policy. Oh, wow. Talk about timing. I know. (laughs) (laughs) So it's very exciting. So the policy is based off the National Framework for Non-Urban Water Metering, which was developed from the National Water Initiative to provide a nationally consistent metering standard to improve the confidence of all basin water users in water meter performance and accuracy. Um, As you no doubt know, the updated Meteorological Assurance Framework 2, or MAF 2, as we all love to refer to it, (laughs) is part of the national framework and it's supported by metering standards specified by Australian Standard 4747. Um, So that covers metres for non-urban water supply and it covers the installation, validation, maintenance and verification of the metres. So our non-urban water metering policy has been developed to meet all of those requirements and it brings the ACT in line with other Murray-Darling Basin states who have already begun implementing those new metering standards. So we've talked about the RLF or the Regulatory Leaders Forum extensively before on this podcast, Um, but for those who are new to Water's Edge, the RLF is a quarterly meeting of regulatory leaders 
from the Murray-Darling Basin. It's chaired by the Inspector General of Water Compliance, Troy Grant, and it aims to improve collaboration between basin states and territory, because the ACT is a territory, uh, in relation to water compliance. So, Sue, what do you think the ACT brings to the RLF and and what sort of challenges do you think you face? So the benefit that the ACT brings to the RLF and any of the other national forums that we participate in is that the individual members have a much broader remit than any of our counterparts in any of those areas. So whereas all of the other regulatory leaders are steeped in water regulation all day, every day. I also have those touch points into environmental protection. Um, I'm also very engaged, obviously, in municipal water supply um, and also in the the utilities technical regulation that comes with that, so making sure that the urban water meets the standards as well. Um, We work closely with health to make sure that the health of water users is protected. Um, We have local government roles, uh, so we have very close connections, as I said before, with the individual water users and their needs. And we also are much more close to um, ministers and, you know, all across government and the whole full suite of needs. And so what that means is that we're often able to identify where policies might not work mm-hmm. or where new regulatory regulatory initiatives have a have a risk of um, of failure because we are actually connected with the end users and I personally am only one step removed from the end water users because my team of three water mm. regulators I work with absolutely on a daily basis with all of them and if anything's going wrong or they're worried about something, then I'll know about that and I'll be able to bring that to the Water Regulatory Forum. I'd love to tell you a bit about the benefits that we get from the IGWC. Yeah. So um, we get, we get. I mean, I really feel that the benefits that ACT gets from the national forums is bigger than what the other states get a lot because we just learn so much. We, it's, it's a, the ACT goes... And, and sucks up the research and the experience mm. that the other jurisdictions have amassed. And we borrow and learn from the other jurisdictions because we just genuinely don't have the capacity to do an original research or to develop original policy. So what we'll do is we'll often scan across and we'll look at the most appropriate Tools. You can cherry pick things yeah, essentially. We, we can, yeah. Yeah. So we're often a leader in the policy space in the ACT. Again, that kind of reflects our agility. So we have really world leading policies on things like climate change, and um, and I know that our water minister is very um, keen to be very forward looking and very very proactive in water compliance, and in all things in terms of um, you know best practice water regulation and things so we can go and we can have that perspective and then and then we can just learn from the best that the other jurisdictions have have brought so um so the best thing for me and for the ACT from the water regulatory leaders forum has been that opportunity to go along and to listen to the troubleshooting that other 
jurisdictions have when they say, oh, well, we tried this and it didn't work. We think, well, we're not going to do that. Yeah. <laughs> you know, so I mean... Learning the, from other people's that's mistakes. Right. So yeah. for instance, telemetry, I think, is a really good example. Mm-hmm. So best practice in terms of, you know, water metering and data capture is, is telemetry. And there's been a strong push nationally for the basin states to take on telemetry. So what that is is a kind of like, you know, real-time digital transfer of water meter data. It's very, very useful for farmers who are irrigating large areas because it can mean that in real time they get a signal if something's going wrong, if there's too much water in one part of their farm or whatever. It doesn't work as well, though, when there's really mountainous country and so the digital transfer of information doesn't isn't maybe as robust or reliable so we've been able to go to forums and find that out and think you know what we are one of the hilly jurisdictions Mm. and so maybe not but also our tiny tiny little water users who um make up a minuscule part of the total water take in the basin um it's just not cost effective and because they just are not going to have a tap on that loses that much water, mm. um, they would notice with their tomato patch, you know. It's not, <laughs> it's not actually going very far and it's not in big quantities mm. and they don't need to put telemetry. Mm-hmm. And so we've we've learned from the other jurisdictions and seen that it doesn't always work and that even other jurisdictions who are really in, in, um, embracing telemetry are saying it's not appropriate for all of their water users. And, and so we can say, look, actually we're more like those in in several different ways and so we're going to look for an alternative telemetry and we're actually pretty confident that with our absolutely tiny water users all of whom are metered that we can have sufficient confidence in their water take through manual meter readings done several times a year. And I guess the thing with the ACT is you wouldn't have the same geographical challenges as somewhere like New South Wales or Queensland would have where you've got these large flooding events that might prevent people from coming to take manual water meter readings and things like that. I would imagine that that's a pretty rare circumstance in the ACT. Yeah, we don't get we don't tend to get floods that uh, stick around as much as in the flat areas of Victoria and Queensland in particular. We we do get floods, but they'll usually come and go in a couple of days at the mm. most. Yeah, that's not a big issue for us, um, and also. It, you know, there's there's not many metres that we can't drive to within an hour. That's right. Yeah. Yeah. Yep. It's not going to – you don't have to book out an entire day to get to a property that's five hours away. From, yes, or that you have yeah. to fly to. Yeah. Yes. Yeah, that's right. So um, oh, another really great benefit for the ACT going to the IGWC and to going to the RLF meetings is that we can make the case for why we think we should be allowed to do things a bit differently. So I've just explained to you why telemetry isn't a great choice for Mm -hmm. the ACT. Well, we've had the opportunity to go to the RLF and to make that case in amongst the other jurisdictions and directly to the IGWC and have that case heard and understood. And it's just been fantastic to have that really face-to-face contact and that ability to discuss and see if we're missing something. But, you know, often... If we are, it's, it's only sort of been marginal and our sense of that what we're doing is fit for purpose has been reinforced by that. You've talked about all these great things and the benefits, but are there any challenges that you have experienced? Yes, there are. Okay. <laughs> Please do tell. All right. So, so one of the challenges uh, for us um, is that 
we we are really finding ourselves a bit overwhelmed by new reporting and enforcement requirements. Um, so, and, and it is difficult for the ACT to fit its regulatory context into the reporting template. So, for instance, with some of the things we're expected to report on, we're, just, we're only ever going to have 100% or zero. Yeah. And it means it looks like we're either pretending that we're really at 100% or hopeless if we're at zero and you know I always have to report that to the minister the reason we're on zero is because we don't have any yeah. <laughs> so therefore yeah. it doesn't even apply you know so um I so think the- that's really important context for people with the metering report card to understand that that's why the ACT's data probably looks a little bit different to Lumpy, yeah. other jurisdictions <laughs> yeah yeah that's right it's also that there's a, a very significant reporting burden so we have the same reporting requirement as all the other jurisdictions but as I said before there's only three people in the water regulation team and so those three people are responsible for producing a whole report that you know a team of 10 or something might be putting together in other jurisdictions and so when you flick through those reports ACT is a whole page you know just alongside all of the other jurisdictions where you have to understand that that um, we've had to produce the same amount of data mm. really cover the same number of data um, points and data types even though they're only for 325 water users <laughs> <laughs> then we're still covering the same number of variables as mm. all the other jurisdictions and it's still a struggle to make it work um, also, the nature of our regulated community makes it really hard to capture the information about our compliance and enforcement activities. So a particular example is that um, our water users know all of the members of the water team and they'll ring up and ask a question or make it. So, for instance, you know, one, one example of how it actually is in the ACT, just the other week, somebody's metre was due to be read. And they rang up and said, look, there's a brown snake in the shed. Only um, in Australia. <laughs> I don't want to go in there today. Do you reckon you could wait till next week? And we said, sure, that'll be fine. <laughs> so on the surface, that might sound like if I just say they all know who we are, you might say, oh, that's regulatory capture. Watch out. Things could go wrong. But in fact, water meters are pretty robust. Um, and our ones that are measuring tiny amounts could only be out by a tiny amount of water. And really the difference in one week between measuring, taking the meter reading when there's a brown snake in the shed, that mm. seems fair to us. Yes. It seems fit for purpose. I think that would be fair for <laughs> seems, most people. <laughs> it seems proportional to the scale of the potential risk, yep. which genuinely is, are we taking too much water? Mm. Well, that property is not green, you know. <laughs> they would, we'd be very quickly able to see if they were taking too much water. They're not taking too much water and we didn't want them to be bitten by a snake. So that's that's the kind of reality yeah. that we've got. Um, and, yeah, and water meters, they're, they're pretty good. Even the basic water meter is, you know, even if it's out, it's likely to be out by some percentages, you know, and in our case, not gigalitres. Yeah. You know, it might be... A handful of kilolitres but it's yep. not going to be anything significant um also you know our interpretation of their metrics again because we're so small might be a bit different so for instance we're meant to be reporting on um you know enforcement actions and warnings and things like that so so very often those are fairly um informal in our case and again because they're so small and we know everybody so um so it might be a verbal warning and also engagement, you know. So so in other jurisdictions, 
a, a type of engagement might be that you write a newsletter and you have an article about these kinds of things and then you send it out to, to you know, 3,000 people. What we will have done is gone out on the property, 30 different properties, talked face-to-face -face with 30 different people about their water meters and talked with them about the need for accuracy and things like that. And so that doesn't look as good. You know, we've only engaged with 30 people. And was that, was that engagement or not? You know, was it meter reading or was it engagement? Are we supposed to double count that? Really, the two the birds, news, one stone. That's right, because the newsletter actually really is a surrogate for genuine communication. So, you could argue that what we're doing is is better because it, we're really talking to the people about the importance of their meter and the importance of the accuracy. And um, yeah, so it's so it's just a little bit hard to. Is we are fitting a very 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 small round peg into an absolutely enormous yep. square hole. <laughs> And, and trying to make it make sense to yeah. everybody. Yeah. You've told us the challenges, so tell us the highlights. Yeah. So it has been an absolute highlight to have really direct engagement with Troy Grant, the Inspector General of Water Compliance. He is really approachable and really positive. He always just listens with his full attention and gives a sensible answer you know so and and it's really clear that he has approached the regulatory leaders forum with a really genuine interest in building confidence in the murray darling basin um water water compliance and i think that's fabulous it's a really great goal and and he really has brought that whole community of regulators together in a really collaborative and collegial way and it's been really evident over the last year to see that community of regulators developing um, and in particular, the opportunity to work with the other jurisdictions is just priceless for us. So as the smallest jurisdiction, we can't undertake our own research or really be at the front line in developing new techniques or regulatory policy. And so the RLF enables us to learn from the other jurisdictions mm -hmm. and to um, approach best practice or better practice in a way that works for us as the ACT. Well, thank you very much, Dr. Sue Wild River. I've really enjoyed this chat and it's been a really great way to finish off season two of Water's Edge. Um, thank you very much for joining me. Thanks, Annabelle. It's been a pleasure. Water's Edge is produced by the Inspector General of Water Compliance, Australian Government, Canberra.